Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're here today and uh, hope you're ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do each week is take viewers' questions and try to find answers in the Bible. Uh, you'll see a phone number and a website on the bottom of your screen. Use those anytime. Get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we get a lot of questions about a specific verse or a term in the Bible or a, a doctrine in the Bible. If you want to explain, uh, sometimes somebody's looking for a particular verse and we'll help them find it. We get a lot of life questions, a lot of current event questions. Uh, what's the Bible say about that kind of thing? So we're glad to try to help you know your Bible a little bit better, but the key is you direct the program, so we need your questions. So give us a call or log on. Tell us what you want us to talk about. My buddy Toby Levering's back this morning. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to answer a few of these questions, but <clears throat> our viewers always get one first, so let's do that one. Uh, who was the first Christian martyr? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, so you know who, if you know who the first martyr was for Christ. And uh, see if you know it. Uh, Toby's got the first question. It's a long question and hopefully a short answer. All right. Viewer <laughs> wants to know how long is a furlong? Well, a furlong or a stadia is another word for it, is a Greek measure of distance. The uh, exact distance is 606 feet and 9 inches, uh, which is uh, roughly a little more than about an eighth of a mile. A modern perspective, you might think about the length of a city block is about a furlong length. And uh, where does that come come from and why would a viewer ask a question about a furlong? Uh, that is a me unit of measure that's found in the King James translation. Uh, modern uh, translations usually break that down into miles, but the technical term is uh, think that about the distance of an eighth of a mile. So that's how long a furlong is and uh, <laughs> short answer for it. Okay, a furlong. That's <laughs> just a good word. Alright, viewer wants to know about uh, verse Acts twenty six twenty three. Why does Paul say in that verse that Jesus would be the first <clears throat> to rise from the dead? Other people had already risen from the dead. All right, let's make sure our viewers got the verse right first. Let's read it. Acts twenty six twenty three. We'll add verse twenty two to it. Paul's talking to King Agrippa. And he said, To this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and he would proclaim light to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. So Paul summarizes what the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah, uh, said that he was going to suffer, that he'd be the first to rise from the dead, and he'd proclaim light to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. So, he said it. Uh, our viewer says now, 
if he was the first to rise from the dead, what about all those other people that rose from the dead before Jesus? Well, our viewers right there, too. Uh, there were other people, a few in the Old Testament, and a few that Jesus himself had raised from the dead, Lazarus and the widow's son and some others. So, uh, yes, Jesus was not the first to be resurrected from a dead state. But let's add a little different meaning to it by reading this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul's explaining about resurrection and from the dead and all of that. And he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. All right, so we can see from this that Paul's saying that this kind of resurrection, uh, this resurrection to heaven for eternity, Christ was the first one. Now, let's put this all together. The people that were risen from the dead before, Lazarus and the widow's son, uh, some in the Old Testament, as far as we know, they all died again. Okay, they went back to the grave. Uh, Jesus was the first one to be raised this way, <laughs> this kind of resurrection, a resurrection from the dead and to eternity, not to die again. That's what the Old Testament prophets, that's what Paul was talking about, that's what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. He was the first one to rise to this kind of new life. And as that, he's the first fruits for all the others who have died, uh, and he says there at the end of that passage, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, all of us, those who belong to him. So when he comes back, we'll all be raised from the dead and go to heaven. So that's what Paul's talking about. There were some other temporary resurrections uh, as a miracle to prove to people that Jesus was the Son of God or uh, just to be kind to a widow or all sorts of purposes. Uh, but they were temporary. The person died again. The real resurrection to eternity that we're talking about, Christ was the very first one of those, and all of us will follow at the second coming. Okay, I first had a short question, and now I have a fast question. Should we fast for God and for how long? Okay, well... Uh, fasting is generally understood to be depriving yourself of food for a time being. There are different, I guess, different types of fasting you could have. But when the Bible speaks of it, in, in every case that I know of, fasting refers to abstaining from food for a time, abstaining from the fleshly, physical need for food to focus on spiritual things. And you ask, should we fast for God? And my answer to that is, uh, it's a personal decision. It's certainly okay to do, um, but it's not anywhere in Scripture commanded or required. We, we know that Jesus famously fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. 
and in probably what is a scripture that would be the understatement of the year, it says after that he was hungry. I'm sure he he was. Uh, we know from Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, a couple of different places, we know that fasting was practiced in the early church. In fact, Jesus himself said, uh, when asking, uh, he was asked one time, how come you and your disciples, how come your disciples don't fast? He said, well, it's not reasonable for them to fast, but there will come a time, Luke 5.35, the time will come when the bridegroom, and that would be Jesus, will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. So Jesus said, you know, it, it's something that will happen, and uh, again, we, we, we say we don't see the command anywhere in, in Scripture, we only see the example and know that it did. So it's up to you, it's a personal decision, and uh, it is helpful it's uh, useful to, you know, pull away from your regular rhythm. And, you, of course, the body reminds you that it's time to eat and you get those hunger pains. And that then becomes a catalyst for focusing on spiritual things. It's really helpful if you're ha wanting to have very focused, intense, uh, purposeful, intentional prayer. And I know churches that have done that at certain occasions for certain reasons. And that's fine to do. Uh, but the scripture doesn't command or require uh, that that be that that happen. Um, the second question you ask is how long, and my answer to that is the same. It's really up to you. If you've never fasted before, I wouldn't recommend that you jump right in and try to do a forty day deal. Okay, <laughs> but maybe if you if you've started and you just say I'm going to not have lunch today, I'm going to focus on praying over my marriage or my family. Oh, that'd be a great thing to do. Uh, but but start small and 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 work into it reasonably and use common sense. Uh, here's what Jesus said about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, uh, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by <clears throat> your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And again, this again points to the, the, the root of fasting is a, a focused, purposeful um, time with you and God. And it's really to be a private matter. So it's not a an extra level of spirituality or righteousness. You don't do it to show everybody that you're doing it. You do it because you want to focus uh, more intently and more purposely with the Lord. So if you're doing it, don't do it for a show. Don't do it to impress anyone else and keep it between you and God. I hope that's helpful. All right. Bible study is something we're pretty uh, adamant about here on this program. We love to study the Bible with you. Uh, we spend 30 minutes each week trying to help you know your Bible a little bit better. But we also advocate some home Bible study. We want you to study the Bible on your own. Uh, God's got a message for you in there, and we'd like you to spend time in His Word. Uh, we know a lot of our viewers do that already. We know some have not gotten started on that. So we offer some tools, happy to send to you, and it'll help you get started in Bible study and hopefully help you form a regular habit of Bible study. That's the first set of lessons. There's eight in it, and it's just a good overview of the Bible, good basic Bible study, not tied to any church doctrine or anything. Just help you learn your Bible. And then we've got four other courses that come after that that you can keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study tools. 
and help you know your Bible better. And then we've added recently an online course that you can sign up for on uh, oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Go to that site and uh, you'll get hooked up with an online course. Uh, whatever device you've got, a phone, a tablet, a PC, you can sit down and uh, go through your courses as quickly as you want. And we think that's a great option in this day and age, and hopefully you're taking us up on that. So phone number and website on the bottom of the screen will help you get connected to any of those kind of courses you want. Uh, let us know, and we'll get you studying. All right, viewers, a uh, pretty simple question. Where in the Bible does it say Abraham? was baptized? Well, very quick answer. It doesn't say uh, that Abraham was baptized. So that would be the end of that question, except possibly our viewer had another meaning in mind there. Uh, I say that because we get questions like this every once in a while. Maybe our viewer just wanted to know if Abraham was baptized, and the answer is no. Uh, but sometimes we get folks that have been taught that baptism is not necessary, so they suggest that if Abraham wasn't baptized, that somehow implies we don't need to be baptized. Uh, the reasoning goes, well, Abraham's in heaven, we know that, and if he wasn't baptized, you can get to heaven without being baptized. Uh, so if our viewer had that in mind, I don't want to leave that question there without possibility of that, uh, I would add to my answer that it doesn't say Abraham was baptized, but the Bible also does not record that Abraham was commanded to be baptized. Uh, he wasn't told to. He did what God told him to do. Uh, he believed. He obeyed. And the Bible says that was counted to him for righteousness. Uh, he was told to leave the land of Ur, and he did that. Uh, you and I aren't told to leave the land of Ur, so we don't have to do that. Uh, he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. Uh, he was willing to do that, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Uh, none of us have been told to sacrifice our son to God. We have, however, been commanded to be baptized. So uh, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is one thing you need to learn, and those correspondence courses will help you do that. Uh, everybody in the Old Testament, none of them were told to be baptized. But at the end of the Old Testament, when Jesus ushered in the New Testament, one of the last things he said before going back to heaven uh, was go out and tell people about me and baptize them. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So uh, we are commanded to be baptized. And just like Abraham, if we believe God and obey him, uh, that will be counted to us for righteousness if we do what he told us. So, nope, Abraham wasn't baptized, but he wasn't told to be. <laughs> All right, the next question is about music, and a viewer wants to know, is it sinful to listen to music that isn't, quote, church music? Uh, well, the Bible never makes a distinction specifically between regular, what we might call secular music, and church music. Uh, there probably were types of non-religious music uh, back in that time, but the Bible never makes a distinction about one or the other. It speaks more broadly about what you put in your mind and what you put in your heart. Uh, you ask, is it sinful to listen to music that's not church music? I would say what leads to sin is, mu is sinful music, music that 
puts worldly, ungodly ideas in your mind and in your heart. And, and of course, music is an effective way of doing that. Uh, you you have song lyrics um, from songs that maybe were written decades ago, and yet you start a tune off and you just rattle it off. Uh, music is powerful in the ability to, to put ideas and thoughts and words in your mind um, that you can't get out. And so we have to be real careful, particularly with music, because uh, the tune that, that it's played to can keep it uh, in our mind and our heart uh, indefinitely. So we want to be careful, but the Bible doesn't tell us, <clears throat> uh, give us a list of listen to this kind of music and don't listen to this kind of music. Uh, you have to use discernment on that. So uh, a couple of, of thoughts from Scripture. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Uh, you should think of your heart like a field and you be really careful about what you allow. You want something good planted that will reap a harvest or you just want weeds and junk planted in there. Guard it. Be selective in what you listen to. Driving down the road with the family, uh, something inappropriate on the radio comes on the uh, over the car radio and shut it off. Change the station. Uh, that's per being diligent in guarding your heart, maybe guarding the hearts of your uh, children. Uh, the, uh, the other side of that is that music can be helpful. If it's uh, church music, as you call it, uh, uh, there's Christian music stations. And, and those things, I think, generally keep our minds and our hearts positive, uh, uplifted, encouraged, uh, focused on God, focused on maybe God's promises. Well, those are good things. And so, um, you know, you just have to be selective as you do with anything that you watch, listen to, read, the books you read, the, the music you listen to, the TV you watch. So, uh, no, the Bible doesn't give us a, a, a list of what to listen to and what to watch and what to read. It just says, uh, you pay attention to it, guard your heart, and be selective. Uh, Paul might say, listen to whatever music. And by that, I mean what he said or what he wrote rather in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This scripture's on the screen. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these Things. So maybe that's a good test for the things you listen to and the things you watch, the things you read, is does it pass the Philippians 4.8 test? Uh, I hope that's helpful for you. That verse just eliminated a whole lot of modern music. It sure did. <laughs> you were paying attention. I, I was reading that verse, and I said, you can't hardly find music like that. <laughs> Ruled out a lot of it. All right, got a little parenting question here. A viewer says, I have heard... Spare the rod, spoil the child, means to spank children. I also heard it meant to discipline them, uh, which is correct. Well, spare the rod, spoil the child is a famous uh, saying that is not in the Bible. But there are things pretty close to that. So we're going to start with that uh, and pay attention here. Let's read about three verses real quick from Proverbs. All of them say pretty much the same thing. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he won't die. Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And Proverbs 29:15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
All right, you got the words discipline, rod, reproof, uh, discipline all mixed in together there. So let me explain. Uh, discipline is what we do to children. We're supposed to discipline, and, and the word discipline means uh, to teach. A disciple comes from that. So when we disciple a child or train them, uh, we discipline them all sorts of ways. Uh, spanking, or the rod, as the Bible calls it, is one form of discipline. There's, think of discipline as the big circle, and within that circle, one kind of discipline is the rod or spanking of some sort. Now, you can also discipline by uh, grounding, by timeouts, by taking away privileges, uh, making them go to bed early, all kinds of discipline uh, work with children, and the rod is one that the Bible certainly approves of. Now, I realize that a whole lot of people just get freaked out by that. That's not politically correct to spank a child these days in a lot of people's thinking. Uh, the rod of discipline is not beating a child. It's not child abuse. Uh, a light swat for a little child, a light switch on the back of the thigh uh, gets kids' attention. Uh, so it's not a beating, it's not an abuse, and certainly should never go that far, uh, but it is an attention getter. And those of us that are a little bit older uh, remember having our attention gotten a few <laughs> times. So we know it kind of works. Now, the other thing I'll say about it is the rod or spanking it certainly is not the only form of discipline, is maybe not the best for some children, and it's certainly not necessary for all children. Some children uh, react, well, all children react differently to different kinds of discipline. Uh, some children, you just look at them a little bit askance or cross-eyed, and uh, they are just devastated that you don't approve of what they did, and they'll straighten right up. Uh, some others, you can use the rod every day and doesn't get their attention. So <laughs> kids are different. you got to understand that. Uh, spanking can be harmful to some children's uh, uh, well-being, I guess. Uh, not near as many as folks seem to think these days, but uh, that's the answer. The, the rod is approved of by the Bible, used properly, it gets a child's attention. Used improperly, it's a bad thing, a wrong thing. Uh, but spanking is just one form of discipline, and if that suits your child and uh, they need that to get their attention, go right ahead and do that. The writer of Proverbs says it'll work. Uh, the key one is that probably that last proverb, a child left to himself brings uh, shame to his mother. So they need some forms of discipline. And if you go out in public very much, you can see children that have been left to themselves and haven't had much discipline. And that's shameful, the Bible says. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, we are put on the air and produced by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention that each week. And uh, thank some of the ones that keep us on today. Let's mention some up in the uh, Quad Cities area, Illinois, Iowa. We broadcast from Rock Island, uh, the church in Sterling, Illinois, the church in Moline, the one in Muscatine, Iowa. All help us stay on the air up in that area, and we thank them. 
appreciate their support and invite you to visit them sometime. If you're looking for a church home, looking for folks that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program, uh, Sterling, Moline, Muscatine, there's one close to you up in the Quad Cities there, so drop in and visit them. And maybe you know somebody that attends one of those congregations. If you do, tell them thanks for keeping us on the air, and uh, we appreciate it. Okay, uh, a viewer asked the question, does it say in the Old Testament that every, in the OT, which means Old Testament, that everyone will know when the Son of God comes? Well, I can't think of one or could find a verse in the Old Testament that speaks to that. And really in the New Testament, it doesn't say that precisely, but I'll give you a couple verses to think about. One will not be on the screen, but you can look up at home, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 51 is where I'll start. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And so uh, that sounds like a fairly significant event, and it sounds like it applies to all the dead and the living so I think when Christ returns, uh, we'll know. Uh, another scripture will be on the screen, Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 27. As, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And that's the closest one that I could get to that says that. Of course, that's not in the Old Testament, but in the New. Uh, but it's my firm conviction that the, uh, as far as the last day when Jesus returns, uh, the day of the, of, of the Lord, uh, we're going to know it. Everybody living and uh, even those who have died, uh, it's going to be a very significant day. And uh, how that's going to work, obviously, the world's a, <laughs> a globe and how he's going to appear at once when everybody sees him and, and all of that. And God's going to work that out just fine. But I don't have to understand it uh, in order for it to be true. So hope that uh, those verses help you. But uh, however that day comes, it's going to be something we don't expect, I think. It's going to be very different. It's going to be something. All right question about uh, uh, Matthew 6, 5. What does it mean when Jesus said the Pharisees were praying and it says they already have their reward? Well, let's just read the verse and I think we can figure it out. Uh, Jesus is talking about prayer and he says, when you pray, do not catch that. Do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. All right, there you go. When we pray, we're praying to God. We want his attention. We want him to grant us favors. We want him to receive our thanks. And he says, the hypocrites prayed, not for that, but to be seen of men. And if that's what they prayed for, then they've got their reward. If that's what they wanted was to be noticed by men, well, they've been noticed by men, and that's the only reward they're going to get. Uh, so pretty clear there. Paul says, when you pray, uh, talk to God. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you need in your life. Give him your requests, and he'll grant those to you. But if you're praying just to be seen, well, that's the reward you want. 
That's the reward you'll get. <laughs> so don't be like the hypocrites. All right, we got a trivia question we need to get answered today. The first Christian martyr, and that's in Acts chapter 7. You can read about that fellow with an excellent name, Stephen. He was uh, <laughs> martyred as, as the first one, stoned to death by the crowd because after his sermon, uh, became the first Christian martyr. Glad you've been with us today, and uh, hope if you haven't signed up for one of the Bible courses or signed up to study online that you'll do that today. Phone number, website will get you in touch with us. Do that. We're glad you've been with us today, and hope that you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.